case you missed it, all of our songs had the word cross in it. Right? At the cross. Thank you for the cross. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, we're we're in uh, going to be looking at John chapter 19 this morning, and in this series, Encounters with Jesus, looking at some different encounters that he had with individuals and with people and with crowds and with uh, just uh, a whole host of people. But uh, looking at the Gospel of John here, and I think that uh, what where we're where we are this morning is we find ourselves towards the end of the gospel, looking at this cross imagery, and uh, and actually the burial scene this morning. Maybe it seems kind of like an odd thing, maybe an odd time of year. I guess uh, you know we're pounding on the doors of Thanksgiving and Christmas, and here we are uh, talking about a theme that would seem to be an Easter theme, I guess, if you will. Um, and yet that's where we're at in the gospel. That's where we're at in John. And I don't think that it's all at all unfitting for us to cover that topic because I think that the cross is a, is a message that is, is important to hear about, not just at Easter, <laughs> but throughout all of, all of the year. Um, but uh, the, anyway, that's where we're at. In fact, I'd like for us to see that scene and uh, just, just maybe see if it doesn't have something to say to us today. Uh, the text, again, that we've got listed is just the burial scene itself. And I, I want to just back up just a few verses to verse number 23, John chapter 19, verse 23, and just kind of catch what's happening around the text that we're going to be, this, uh, this crucifixion scene. And just so, so John chapter 19, verse 23, I want you to notice here what it says. It says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I'm really fascinated by this here. And I, I think one of the things that I see in this text is that, that uh, Jesus is, in fact, he's faithful to his mother. Um, it just kind of strikes me as an unusual uh, that in this particular time in Jesus' life, you know, he has all these things going on. Uh, around him that the, during this particular event in his life when life his life is now about to come to an end and I suppose that he could probably be thinking of some other things anything else on earth actually and but he looks down and the one thing that he thinks about is his mother he thinks about mom um, there's a commentator who has speculated as to the as to the identity of these particular mothers uh, because they're named in various ways in all the, of the different Gospels, the four Gospels. And his conclusion is that one of the ladies who is here 
is actually Mary's sister who happens to be the mother of James and John. And so I guess what that's saying and, and, and what is that you have, what you have here is you have John the disciple, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple, the author of our gospel, who would then actually be Jesus' cousin. And so what he's saying is, Mom, Cousin John is going to take care of you. He's going to, um, you know, it's just that kind of extended family kind of thing where, where you, we take responsibility for each other. And I, I just find that to be kind of fascinating uh, here at the end of Jesus' life when everything else could have been on his mind, that that family thing was the, what he was really thinking about it at least the, among the things that he was thinking about. Uh, there's something significant about that that I want to just kind of come back to, but then, but I want to look at the, the text that we're going to look at, um, uh, verse 28 here, later it says, uh, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the man of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he, that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So I see not only has Jesus, was he, not only was he faithful to his mother under these unusual circumstances, but I think he was also faithful to his father. I mean, this whole text that we just read, verses 28 through 37, it's all about Jesus and his faithfulness to the will of the, of the one who had sent him to the earth in the very first place. Now, I don't know if you found it odd or not. I, I find it rather unusual that this one says from the cross, among all the other things that are recorded, John specifically says, and only John says, I am thirsty. Well, John records Jesus as saying, I am thirsty. I thirst. <laughs> I find that odd. I mean, this from the one who said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, remember that? He says, come to me and I will give you water and you will never thirst again. Or who said just a few chapters later in the tabernacle area during one of the feasts, he says, I am the water of life. This one who is in fact the dispenser of water that allows you to live forever says on the cross, he says, I am thirsty. I just kind of find that odd. Do you, do you see that? Do you find that odd too? Most of the commentators suggest that this is done to fulfill a specific scripture in the Old Testament. I mean, it, it says that specifically, right? This was done to fulfill 
Scripture, but it doesn't identify what Scripture he fulfills. And so the scholars, they have actually looked at that and they said, well, what one, which one makes the best sense? Well, probably, and this is what they suggest, is Psalm 69 where it says that they gave him a drink and he took his water and vinegar and, and that's what they do to Jesus in this text. And so, you know, we look at that and we go, oh, okay, maybe I could be the one. But I also found myself wondering if maybe there isn't something more to this than just the simple fulfillment of vinegar. <laughs> How about this text? Psalm chapter 42, verse 2. Do you remember we read that this morning, right? My soul thirsts for you, God. Could that have been on the mind of Jesus, that that what he is saying is that here on this cross, uh, as he's here on this cross, that you know, doing the thing that God had sent him to do, what, that Jesus would be really saying, you know, God, what I really long for, what I really am thirsty for is a relationship with you, God. My soul thirsts for God. I want to go back to the relationship that I had with God in the first place, that I, that I gave up to, to come down here and to be with you. I want to go back to that relationship that I had in the first place. In fact, it kind of strikes me that in John's Gospel, you get kind of hints of that all the way through. You, go, you start with, uh, like in John chapter 4, when he's talking to the woman at, at the well, he says, you don't, you don't understand this, disciples, but my food is to do the will of the Father. Or he says in John chapter 18, he says, Should I not drink of the cup that the Father has given to me? You hear that language of food and water and thirst and accomplishing the will of God. I, I thirst, he says. Well, maybe he's just physically thirsty. Could be. But, but maybe... Maybe what he's saying is, I thirst for God. And then he says, it is finished. It's maybe the most famous thing that he says on the, on the cross. He says, it is accomplished. It's done. It's, in fact, it occurs twice in this text in verse number 28. It simply says that these things have been completed. And then he says, it is finished. He has done the thing that he came to earth to do. We'll come back to that because it's the next section of the text that, that really intrigues me. The next parcel, if you will, down in, in verse number 38. Take a look at that. It, it, it says, Later, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes under about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen, and this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
Joseph and Nicodemus. And we, re we remember Nicodemus, right? I mean, chapter 3, uh, he came to Jesus, uh, and uh, he did it at night. Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Jewish leader, the text says, who was a disciple, but secretly. Did you catch that? He's a secret disciple. <laughs> secretly no more, right? He's no longer a secret disciple, right? Because he and Nicodemus, they come and they go, they, they ask for permission to take down the body of Jesus and, and, and they prepare it for burial. And I, I mean, there is so much going on here that it, it's just absolutely remarkable. Uh, 75 pounds of spices. I tried to figure out how much that was. So um, how often do we get dog food? Once a month? And we usually get one for each pup. And those bags are about 40 pounds. You wrap one of those, you just put them on your shoulders or whatever you, you well, bring it into the house, you know. Uh, about 40, that's about what it is. Two bags of dog food, you think? 75 pounds? Well, actually, extravagance. That's really what this is. I mean, it, that's what this is about. This whole gospel is about uh, extravagance. This, this was burial spices fit for a ruler, not for a pauper. And do you remember what we talked about last week? The Jewish leaders wouldn't even go into Pilate's court. Remember that? They wouldn't go up to Pi into Pilate's court because they didn't want to defile themselves by the possibility of being in Gentile territory where they might somehow touch a dead body. And so what do they do? The day before the Sabbath, they go take down a dead body and defile themselves <laughs> and cannot celebrate the Passover. And then, then, rather than burying him in a nice quiet corner someplace, you know, which is what the Jews would really like to do, you know, just kind of get him out of the way, get him off, they take him to a brand new tomb in a garden, never before used, fit only for the elite or the royal. It's Joseph, it's Nicodemus that, that really intrigued me because, well, I think that they get to the point of what I'd like us to hear this morning, and that is this. You ready? You cannot be a secret disciple forever. You cannot stay a hidden disciple. Because I think that what happens in this text is that when you look at the faithfulness of Jesus, when you see how strongly faithful that he was to simple things like his family, like uh, you know, that he was to the will of, of his father, I think it, it, you, are drawn, you are drawn to bring out your own sense of faithfulness and courage because you can only be a hidden disciple so long. And then at some point, you've got to come out and be identified. This, uh, this text is really intriguing to me because in this text I discover that we care for the ones that God has placed in our lives. Right? I mean, we, we, we care for the ones that, 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 that God puts in our lives. Jesus, when he's carrying the weight of the sin of the world, it's not that, 
it's not just that he's dying. I mean, he's doing that, of course, but it's not just that he has had these lashes uh, given to him, 39 uh, lashes with the... Uh, with the cat of nine tails. Uh, it's not that just that he has this crown of thorn on his head. He is carrying the sins of the world, uh, yours and mine, and, and all generations prior to that have been placed on that. And, and what's he thinking about the most? His mom. <laughs> and I think Jesus teaches us that kind of family responsibility that that when there's just an awful lot of things weighing upon our shoulders, one of the things that we think about is the connection that we have with, with mom and that extended family and, and so on. And, but it's not just that. It's not just that he teaches us to care about the people that God puts in our lives, but he teaches us to care about the things of God. To think about the things of God, the things that are to think about those. That, that, that's really, I think, what this text is about, about Jesus accomplish, accomplishing the things that God had sent him there for. He thirsts after the things of God. He wants to do the things that God has called him to do. And I, I, I guess I have to confess to you that you know sometimes I look in the mirror and I, I wonder if if I thirst like that. Well, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be spiritual, and I know that, that uh, I know what those right things to do are. I know what hoops that I'm supposed to go through. Uh, I, I know that I'm supposed to read my Bible and all those kinds of things. And what I wonder, though, when I look in the mirror, I, what I wonder is, is do I thirst for those things? Is that really... What drives me? And by reflection, obviously, I'm turning that around and I'm asking that of you as well. Do you thirst for God? Do we all thirst for God? Do we, do we, just, are, do, do we strive for them? Is that what really drives us? Is He the one that comes to our mind? You know, I, I, I would think that if you thirst for God, that for any of us, that, that worship would just be a part of that and that that would be a part of our lives, I, that, there would be, that that wouldn't even be a, a question, uh, you know, whether it's cloudy or gloomy or rainy day or, or sunny or whatever it is, it wouldn't matter in the least because one of the things that you would want more than anything else in the world is to worship the creator of the universe. I mean, that's what Christian people do. Uh, Certainly one of the things that we would be drawn to is for, uh, as Christian people is to, be, uh, to uh, <coughs> be around that table, that we would long to be around that table every week as we celebrate um, and think towards the, the fact that Jesus is coming again. I, and I would just assume that, that we would want to be in Scripture, that we'd want to be in reading God's Word, that we'd be opening it up and just, to me... I, 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 can, I can relate sometimes with the psalmist when he says it's just your words, your laws, your, your, all of it is just like honey to my lips. It's just, now if you don't like honey, maybe that's not a good analogy, but you know, peanut butter or chocolate bars or whatever it is, it's just, I want it. It's just, yes. Um, it's, it's amazing to me. 
um, I, I, I would think that we would all, um, if we thirsted for God, that we would be practicing the spiritual disciplines in our lives, that, that we want to read our Bible, that we want to be in Bible study. And I, I just assume that, that if we thirst for God, that that would just all be a part of who we are because, because we long for, because we thirst for God. I thirst, Jesus said. I, I look in the mirror and I wonder, could I say the same thing? And, and then I look at that second statement. It is finished. And that really causes me to wonder as I look at that, have I really put myself in a position that I could say I have done all of the things that God has called me to do? That becomes more important to me as I get older. See, I think that's what this is all about. He looks at his life. He realizes that God has called him here for a particular purpose. He looks around and he realizes he's done what God has called him to do. And he says in very full confidence, he says, it is finished. It's done. It's accomplished. It is complete. Please note something. I don't know if you noticed this or not when I read it, but, but you really need to hear this in this particular text. Do you remember what Jesus said back uh, uh, several chapters ago, he said, no one takes my life, right? Remember that? No one takes my life. I lay it down on my own accord. Do you hear that? Do you hear that uh, This, in this text? He says, it is finished. And then he bows his head and gives up his spirit. Nobody killed him. And he didn't die as we usually think about it. He had absolute control, total control over his life. If he didn't want to finish the process, if he didn't want to die, if he didn't want to bring to completion the thing that, that uh, needed to be accomplished, he could have left the cross in a heartbeat. In an instant, he chose to go ahead and finish the task, to do the job, to be faithful to the will of the Father, and he says, I give up my spirit. And I look and I ask, could I say that? Have I worked at doing the thing that God has called me to be? To be? Because it's my choice. Just like it was his choice. It's my choice. Nobody can force me to be faithful. That's my task. You know, as a parent, you know, parents understand that because if you, could, if, if, if you could do it, if I could, I would, I would force my kids to be faithful to Jesus. But that's really not my job. I don't have that privilege. Parents don't have that privilege. We don't get to do that because it is, our, it is their choice. They will choose to be faithful or not to be faithful. And parents understand that. I, as much as we would hope that they would be, it's not our choice. It's theirs. And it's your choice. It's my choice. Whether or not to, to, to look at yourself and say, you know what, it is accomplished. It is finished. I've done the thing that I was called to do. I, I don't know about you, but maybe it's, the, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's a challenge of sin in your life. Maybe it's courage. Maybe it's the, the need to grow. What, but what I do know 
is that this image here fits scripture. Remember the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he comes, he uses that same exact word that Jesus uses. It's a little different form that he uses, but he comes to the end of his life, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I have finished the race. I have accomplished what I came to accomplish. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to say that at the end of my life. But I still come back to Joseph and Nicodemus because th this text talks about caring about our witness. In fact, that's really what this text is about. Do you remember Jesus' statement back in John chapter 12? He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. That's a cross image. And Jesus in this text, he is lifted up and he, and he begins to draw men to himself right here at this very point. Remember, right? The thief on the cross, he says, I want to be with you in paradise. The centurion says, you must be the son of God. Joseph and Nic Nicodemus, they come out of the woodwork and they say, we're not going to be disciple, secret disciples anymore. We're going to be real disciples and we're going to stand up and we're going to be counted. And that's really what I, I think that we're being called to, to think about today is, is whether or not we're willing to come out from hiding and stand up and to be counted as disciples of Jesus. Because here's the, here's the thing, is it'll cost you everything, right? We know that. It cost Nicodemus, it cost Joseph everything that they had. They, they were no longer welcome in the Sanhedrin. They were no longer part of the elite Jewish leadership because they had to give it up in order to be a disciple of Jesus. When they came, when they came to Pilate and asked to take the body down, they identified themselves right then and there. We are not part of the Jewish leadership. We are now going to be disciples of Jesus. And it costs them everything. You know, we live in that world, don't we? I just think our, our culture, we want to be everything, you know? We want to have it all. And, 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 and in this case, I think Jesus offers us or, or causes us to make a choice. And I'm asking, I guess, what I'm asking of all of us is that do we have what it takes to pay that kind of a price. This is not an inexpensive, it's, it's not inexpensive to become a disciple of Jesus. It will cost us everything that we've got to stand up and to be counted. And I think that if there's, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, just that we are living in a time where it is so crucial for us to stand up as believers in Jesus Christ, to stand up and to be counted. And that is really what Jesus especially in a culture like ours today. That's what he's asking of you. That's what he's asking of me. He's looking for people who no longer want to hide their discipleship, who are ready to come and just announce it. When everybody else is coming out, why not Christians come out and start coming out, right? I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be one of yours. And it's time for Christians to, to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for your word and, and just recognizing uh, all around it that there's, there's a cost to this thing. We just, I pray for us, uh, for us as not only as a congregation, for all Christians around us, uh, 
that, God, that you would give us a spirit of boldness and a spirit of just uh, in the midst of a culture that wants, to, that wants to shut you up, that wants to put you down, that wants to shut, up, shut us up, that you would help us not, not to be troublemakers, but to just live our faith in, 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 in the way that you want us to do. Give us insight. Give us, give us a, an understanding of what your word says so that we can act and do and accomplish the things that you've called us to do. Help us to be a, a witness right where we're at. Help us to have the attitude and the mind and the heart of Jesus and to thirst for the things of the living God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.